So God, we just look forward to what you have to say tonight. Thank you, Lord, for Eric. Thank you for the blessing uh, that the revelation that he's giving us is bringing to us. We just open our hearts to you as your sons and daughters. We take down all our guards and we ask you, Father, just speak to us tonight. Show us who you are. Expose our ignorance and give us revelation that our lives would be transformed and we have something to offer people who are without bread. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to see you guys. I uh, wasn't supposed to be here. I, I was actually um, about two hours ago. I was in Orange County. <laughs> and uh, I was supposed to be there on business. And and was like, hey, you know, can't you skip a Thursday? Like, I'm in the middle of a series and I really can't skip it. You know, like... I gotta get back, and uh, so I'm here. And if uh, you're checking out for the first time tonight, you'll probably be a little confused because uh, we are talking about one of the hottest topics and hotly debated topics in the Bible, which is healing. And uh, last week we talked about the theology of healing, and this week we're going to talk about the theology of sickness. And it all stems from us having a desire to operate in the authority and the power of Jesus. And if your theology is a little bit sideways on the healing side, if you're, if you're like, I don't know if, if it's God's will to heal, you're not going to be very effective in declaring healing over somebody else. And if you think that sickness is something that God ordained, if you think that sickness is a punishment, if you think sickness is a result of your sin, you're not going to be very effective in removing that sickness. Are you with me? So last week we talked about the healing theology. I encourage you guys to check it out because it's, it's related all together. Tonight we're going to talk about several things, and then next week is going to be the um, the tough one because uh, we get to talk about why aren't we seeing why aren't we seeing healing? What are the forces that work against it? And um, you'll learn a lot about me in the process too. So let's just pray. Thank you, God, for your intention to heal. Thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I'm so encouraged by your word. It's so life giving, and we just we submit ourselves to truth. And we just open ourselves up to hear, God, what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, here's what I'm going to cover. is I'm going to cover where does sickness originate from. I'm going to talk about is sickness punishment from sin, your sin or your parents' sin? Does sickness come from God? Does God partner with sickness to accomplish mission? Does God cause sickness to show that he's powerful? Does God, in other words, does God demonstrate sovereignty? in sickness and does god use sickness in order to teach us things if we have time so um i always encourage you guys on these hot topics uh i don't need any angry emails i get enough emails as it is so everything you're going to hear me say tonight before if there's something you disagree with i got lots of 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 cool notes uh last week from people that were checking it out on facebook and online from all across the country it's crazy and uh, most of them were really good and a few people offered some suggestions too which is Fine. But if, if, uh, if you're here tonight and you hear something, like, don't take my word for it. Go check it out. Don't take my word for it. Don't, don't settle that. Um, if, if something bothers you that you take it up with me, take it up with Jesus and the word, because I'm just trying to tell you what he's saying. So there you go. So first, where does sickness originate from? If you remember back in Genesis, right? God made the heavens and it was good. God made the earth and all the creatures and all the seas, and it was good. Now, do you think that on, like, maybe day 8.5, God, like, snuck in disease in there? I don't think so. When we read the whole entire account of the origination of creation, it always was followed up by, it is good. And God would not create disease and stand back and say that it is good. There is no sin. I'm sorry, in the Garden of Eden, there was no sin, there was no death, and there was no sickness. God's intention for creation was to be absent of death, sin, decay, and compromise. And all that bad stuff came because man listened to a lie and opened the door to trouble. Romans 5.12 says it best in this way. It says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin And so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
So there we see that death, the essence of destruction, death is the essence of sickness, came through sin. When sin entered the world, death entered through the world through sin. And death became a part of man because man became a part of sin. And since sin spread to all men, so did death. It also spread to all men. And here's the best way I've heard it said about sickness. The best way for us to understand sickness is that sickness is death in installments. Sickness is death in installments. When we're sick, we're actually getting a foretaste of what it is to have death, the consequence of the fall in the sin. It's funny, if, if your pancreas malfunctions, we call it diabetes. If your memory fades, we call it Alzheimer's. But it actually is a foretaste of death. It is a part of you that's no longer working as God intended it because we have God's design and then we have the consequence of man. And we look at what heaven looks like. I'm going to share real quickly Revelation 21, verse 1 through 4. It says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the very first Heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride uh, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Death, destruction, and sickness are all the things that kill are the product of the fall when Satan gained his authority over man. When we understand what happened in the fall and what happened with Satan, we can now contextualize sickness and death in our world. Look at this. This is Satan talking to Jesus in Luke 4. And Satan is trying to tempt Jesus. And it says, And the devil said to him, I will give you to Jesus all this domain and its glory for, look at this, it has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. That Satan's like, look, this was handed over to me that we live in the jurisdiction of what was handed over to Satan. So earth plays by the rules of Satan because man surrendered it over to him. That we have sickness and death because man surrendered authority over to Satan at the fall. You guys good with that? So now that we understand that sin entered the world, and so death entered the world, and that sickness is basically death in installments, we get to ask the question is, so if sickness is a result of the fall and sin, is sickness ever punishment? Is sickness ever punishment? We're going to take a look at John chapter 9. I encourage you guys, I'm going to cover this passage twice. There's two different points we're going to get from it. If you happen to have a Bible, you happen to have a phone, I encourage you, we're going to learn something crazy about this passage. And it's best to find a translation that's either NASB or New King James or King James if you want to get all thou and thee and all that stuff. Um, But it's important we find one of those translations that's an actual word for word in the Greek. But first I'm going to cover... If sickness is the result of the fall and sin, and if sickness is a result of punishment, John chapter 9, verse 1, as he passed by, Jesus saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents. And right there. Jesus refutes that ailment or condition is a punishment to a specific sin from you or your parents. Now, we saw when we covered like demons, the demonic, that Jesus articulated different kinds of spirits. You guys remember that? And if Jesus wanted to make a distinction about certain sicknesses coming from sin, he would have done it right there. But we don't see him making any uh, mention of sickness as a result of punishment. And there's a difference between punishment and consequence. Let me first say, if you think that sickness is a punishment, you are in a lot of trouble. Why? Because post-cross, there shouldn't be any punishment for us. If we're still receiving punishment for sin, that means the cross wasn't enough. Let me say that again. If you still are feeling like you are receiving punishment from sin post-cross and resurrection, then then you don't believe that the cross of Jesus was enough for your sin. 
Because all the wrath, all of judgment, all punishment was satisfied purely at the cross. Now, there's a difference between punishment and consequence. Let me give you an example. If I get drunk and get behind the wheel, the consequences to my sin may in fact be death of me or someone else. But that's not punishment. That's consequence. If you harbor bitterness, the consequence may be the, the, um, the effect may take a number of ways in you. You might get depressed. You might get feisty. You might act out. That's not punishment. That's consequence. Sin, described in the Bible, is a noun. It's almost as if it's an entity working against you. So if you harbor, meaning give passage, safety, protection to sin and invite it into your house, into your spirit, into your soul, into your body, don't be surprised if you start dying from the inside out. Being like, oh, God is punishing me for, you know, getting this. Um, like, you know, when people get have too much to drink and they get hung over, they think that, you know, God's punishing them with a hangover. It's like, no, that's called a spanking. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's what happens. Like, you made a bad decision, you know? And it, it's of no fault to Jesus that you, you're hearing snails crawl. It's like, it doesn't even relate to Jesus. It's the natural <laughs> consequence to what you did. If you welcome poison, think of it this way. If you welcomed poison into your body and you drank it, don't be surprised if the poison starts drink, starts taking effect. That's not punishment. It's consequence. Sin brings its own consequence, and it's never from Jesus. If we live in the era of grace, we have to be sure of two things, that all punishment, all wrath, all judgment was satisfied at the cross, period. Next thought. My decisions have consequences. I don't need to blame Jesus for the natural consequence that's coming to me if I make a bad decision. Because it makes a mockery of the cross. It says, Jesus, you didn't do enough. Jesus, we need another cross. Cross 2.0. Like, we don't need any of that. When we're fully satisfied, brand it, stamp it, let's go for it. No. When we're fully satisfied in what the cross did for us, we can be fully confident in who he is for us. And James 1.15 describes sin as this. It says, Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Sin brings its own consequence, its own death, apart from Jesus. So if you sin and you feel the consequence, don't blame God. It has its complete own consequence and result outside of God. So don't inject God into it. People who say that stuff around me, like, they get a really feisty response. (laughs) So then the next question is, well, does sickness come from God? Okay, maybe he's not punishing me, but is God sending sickness? Does God send sickness to show that he's powerful, that he's sovereign, that he, you know, wants to show off? And researching this, it's incredible. When you start researching sickness and God in the Bible, you'll find all sorts of commentaries. The very one of the first results in Google led off with this quote. It says, sometimes God has us suffer, in parentheses, physically, just so that his glory can be displayed in healing us. Just because, uh, sorry, sometimes God has us suffer just so that his glory can be displayed in healing us. There's a lot, and this, and this might sound foreign to you, but it's actually pretty popular. It's pretty common. It's a lot of bogus teachings around a couple of these stories. There's two stories in particular that, that, that make these bogus theologies thrive. One was the story of Job, which we talked about in February. And uh, there's one other passage in John chapter 9, the, the second part of the verse we, we read. And I'll be honest with you, because this study into healing comes from the result of a lot of research on a lot of different topics and pulling together every verse together. And there's one verse that stuck out that kind of bothered me because it was one of those like, man, I don't, I mean, I don't know how to explain this. And usually when people can't explain things about God, they just, well, it's the sovereignty of God and just let's stop talking. You know, they'll, they'll do that. And I was tempted. I was, I was tempted to be like, so this is what God believes, you know, and, but except this one verse and let's move on, you know. But I'm here to bring that passage before you. John chapter 9, let's read it again and we're going to go further. 
As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We should stop everything. Did you just hear that? Did you just read that? Did we just read that a man was born blind so that God would heal him? The three words in there are the operative words, but it was. The key and operative words there are the crime scene fingerprint of this man's sickness, and it's tied back to God. In Jesus' own words, they're red words, right? You know, you have the Bible that talks about Jesus. It's not like, oh, well, maybe that guy's a little bit screwy. No, this is Jesus himself. And undeniably, Jesus said a man was made blind so that the works of God would be seen. Undeniably, we have Jesus taking the credit for the blind man to make him well. And this passage has made all the basis for the sickness doctrine, the sickness by God's sovereignty doctrine is what I call it, which personally states this, God controls and causes everything because he is sovereign. And because he's sovereign, I am sick. And God causes everything, therefore God caused me to be sick. That's generally how that goes. God is sovereign, God causes everything, I'm sick, God caused me to be sick. And then the healing question comes in like this, says, if God wants to heal me, he will heal me because he's sovereign. But if he doesn't heal me, it's because he didn't want to heal me. And God is sovereign. And when people have contradictions in the scripture like this, because this thought is so, it's an outlier of all the rest of the scriptures. And when you can't reconcile two contradicting scriptures, the default response is that God's sovereign. And you know, I'm here to tell you that I'm not satisfied with that answer. I'm just not. I read that and something in me like cringes. And I, I, I brought it before the Lord. I'm like, God, would you just help me in this, please? This is a bummer scripture. And it goes against everything else. And I'm not satisfied with just telling people, well, God is sovereign. And so I spent time in this passage and I discovered there's a very big problem with this passage. A very big problem. And here's another thing. I don't know why this keeps happening to me, but I find these ideas. I start searching for other people that have these ideas because I don't have a license to do any of the stuff I'm saying. <laughs> and I'm like, surely there's other people that are paid a lot more money to research matters like this, and I can't find it. So if we all become, like, famous for one thing, I hope it's this. Maybe and something else. I don't know. But there's a problem with this passage. And when you look it up in the NASB or any word-for-word translation, and it's key that it's there because the NIV, which is very friendly to read, it goes well. It's actually not a word-for-word translation. It's a thought-for-thought translation, which is not a real big issue with there until we start getting into some sideways doctrine. But if you have on your phone, on, on um, version or any of those things else, if you pull up this passage, which again is John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and you look it up, you'll notice that there are different parts of that passage that are in italics. And I put it up here, and I underlined um, the italics just to make it clear. It says, Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I'm going to need some water for this next part. So what does it mean when italics are in Scripture? You guys are all about to get like a really good education on this one passage. I hope you guys like feel good because here's where it's going to go. When you have this conversation with somebody else, someone's going to say, hey, but what about in John chapter nine, when Jesus says this man was made blind so that God would heal him? And you're going to be like, I got your number. I'm so glad you said that. What do the italics mean? The italics mean this is that those words were not found in the original Greek or Hebrew. The words you see underlined, maybe not there, but the words you see underlined, but it was, is in italics. You see a couple of them. Those are not in the original Greek or Hebrew. And there's a few reasons for that. Sometimes the interpreters, the scholars, they'll add back in little additives to kind of make it flow to keep the context. 
because Greek is very like kind of modular, kind of like Legos, they all string together and you kind of have to like pull and, and pluck them together. And so the scholars and the interpreters, what they would do is they would find implied meaning and sometimes they would put little things in there. And so the, the phrase, but it was, which is in italics, is not in the Greek. Jesus, it's important for you to know, Jesus never said those words, but it was. He never said those words. The scholars and interpreters added that, maybe to make it read better, or maybe they added their own, God is sovereign, he makes people sick theology. But what seems like a helpful context is bad theology. So let us redeem this passage, please. Here is what Jesus said without the help of scholars. This is taking out the extra words, the context for that passage. It says, Jesus answered, neither this man sinned nor his parents, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now that seems like it's close enough. I'm going to show you why it's not. Scholars oftentimes have to choose when there's a Greek word, it can have a couple meanings. It can have a couple ways of being said. And so they have to determine which way are we going to translate this to keep the thought we want to keep in view. And so they added the, but it was, that's what they added. Jesus didn't say that in order to make the, the, the context flow. And then they took this next word and they gave their own interpretation on that next word. What was that next word? It was the, so that, so hang with me here. It says, but it was, was injected by the scholars, interpreters, so that. Now that is in the Greek, and it's a Greek word. Um, it's H-I-N-A, pronounced hina. And that literally means, and translated as, in order that, and a secondary meaning is, so that. The primary translation for that great Greek word hina is, in order that. So when the translator chose to insert, but it was, they also chose to use the secondary meaning of the next Greek word to say, so that, because they thought it must have flowed better or whatever. Are you guys hanging? So scholars and, and translators injected the contextual set of words, but it was, and then used the secondary translation for the Greek word hina, so that, to form the sentence we have in all of our Bibles that says, neither this man sinned nor his parents but it was so that the works of God might be displayed. Now let's read it again. We're going to pull out, again, the injected uh, context from the scholars, and we're going to use the original Greek meaning for hina. Let me read it to you. Jesus answered, Neither this man sinned nor his parents, in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. I submit to you that not only did the scholars insert damaging content into Jesus' mouth, they also cropped a thought midway through. They all, they, because sometimes you have to decide when is someone's thought ending and you add a period or you add a comma. And in this case, the scholars added a period. I submit to you that they got it wrong, that Jesus was beginning a secondary thought. It sounds like when it says in order that the works of God might be displayed in him, it sounds like a fragment sentence. So what would happen if we take out the context from the scholar, we use the original Greek context there, and then we just add it on to the next thought that Jesus was saying, the very next thing. Let's just take that period out. And here's what it says. Jesus answered, neither this man sinned nor his parents. End of one thought. In order that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, night is coming when no one can work. Did you guys catch that? I just got goosebumps. That's a good sign. Let me read it again. This is what I believe our Savior said about this topic that's been twisted and contorted to show that God wants to make someone sick in order to heal him. Neither this man sinned nor his parents period. In order that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. Doesn't that seem better? Doesn't that feel right? You're like, yes. It's a completely different thought. Jesus answers the question, neither the man nor his parents sinned, period, end of thought. Next thought. In order for the works of God to be displayed in him, we must act now. The works, basically saying the works of God will not be displayed if we wait, if we wait around, because then it's going to be too late. 
He's trying to issue the urgency at hand to show that the work and the power of God is at hand, but we must act and we must go quickly. And basically, if we're going to heal this guy, we got to get this show on the road. Isn't that cool? I don't know anybody else who's ever found that, but Jesus gives the context for why we must heal, and then he heals them. Look at this, the, the rest of it. It says, in order that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. Well, I am in the world. I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Shalom or Salome, which translated scent. So he went away and washed and came back seen. So now it begs the question. Now we've taken the one passage that people do this doctrine of sickness through sovereignty. We have to ask, how can we be sure that that's the right view? How can we be sure that that's sound doctrine that we can rely our faith upon? And there's a couple ways. One is that a scripture cannot contradict other areas that Jesus says. Like when he explicitly says certain things, they can't contradict. And the content must be consistent with his character, are usually the two litmus tests. So let me show you three contradictions to the theology of God wants to give people sickness to show himself powerful and heal, right? The first one is this, is that it contradicts the principles of kingdom rule. When we say that God is is making you sick for a purpose, when God is instrumental in it, when God is in it, it is violating the rules of kingdom. Now, what does that mean? To say that God heals the sick and gives people sickness violates the rules and the order of both the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Mark chapter 3, verse 22, describes this. It says, The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself, and he began to speak to them in parables. Jesus said, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Jesus uses the word kingdom a lot in here. Why? Is because oftentimes when people are healed, Jesus says, say that the kingdom has come near you. Jesus links healing and the kingdom so close together so many times. Jesus describes the kingdom as his will on earth happening, his will on heaven happening on earth. That we heal people according to the power of the kingdom. That is what it means the kingdom comes near you. And that means this. It means that it's impossible for the same kingdom to be afflicting you as it is the one that's healing you. You can't have it both ways. If it is the kingdom of God that heals you, it is impossible for the kingdom of God to be the one that's afflicting you in the first place. Jesus gave us authority over sickness. Amen? God cannot be the cause of sickness because he's empowering you to come against sickness. I don't think God has a personality disorder. But I'm going to go on a limb and say he doesn't. <laughs> he would be empowering people against himself and his own kingdom. If God was behind sickness, he'd be empowering you to come against him and his kingdom. Another way is, if God causes people to be sick and he empowers you to heal the sick, then every time you cast out sickness, you are casting out God. Let me say it one more time. Amen. Are you guys okay? That's a good word. If God causes people to be sick and he empowers you to heal the sick, then every time you cast out sickness, you are casting out God. You cannot invoke the name of God to cast out the works of God if the works of God are sickness. Jesus said that the kingdom would not be able to stand if it were, per, if it were divided. He says the kingdom would be finished. Number two, the second contradiction is that it contradicts God's self-described role of repurposing evil and redirecting it for good. God is not 
involved in sickness, in infirmity, in disease. Why? Because it is violating his self-described role of repurposing evil for good. Romans 8.28, one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible, says this, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This gets confused all the time. Why? It's because people read it like, God causes all things. And they stop. You know? God causes all things. It's right there in Romans 8.28. That's not correct. It's not that God causes all things. It's God causes what? All things to work. For what? To work for good. You need to say it together. It says God causes all things to work for good. You need to keep that all together. Otherwise, you get really screwed theology. God doesn't cause all things, but he will direct all things to work for your good. If you have sickness or affliction, God will somehow make that evil presence in your body somehow begin to begin to work for good. He didn't need it to be there in the first place, but he will allow, I'm sorry, he won't, he will take that and he'll find a way for that to begin to work for your good. Whether you seek and receive healing or not, if you love God, he will direct everything in your life to benefit you somehow. God is not going to send evil for the purpose of redirecting it towards good. That's very inefficient. It makes no sense to build a house and knock it down and then just so I can rebuild it again. He, that's essentially what we're believing. <clears throat> God is certainly able to take hardships and life situations and make them work out for our good, but he does not require the bad to happen in the first place for the good. When we understand that, we can begin to look at our circumstances and our, our issues differently. The third contradiction is this is the reason that God does not send sickness, partner in sickness, use sickness, is that it contradicts Jesus' self-described mission and also the description of Satan's mission. It contradicts Jesus' self-described mission and Satan's mission. John 10.10, how we got our name, Epic Life. The preceding verse, it says, The thief comes only. The thief comes only. Again, the kingdom cannot be divided. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. This is John 10.10. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus identifies his mission and the devil's side by side so there'd be no confusion. Isn't that nice? Jesus, Jesus could have like, I'll get to Satan in like three paragraphs. But no, he describes his mission in contrast to Satan's mission. Sickness is part of death Jesus cannot come to give life if he was previously giving death. Jesus cannot come to give life if he was previously busy giving death. Well, what about God the Father? I mean, I've heard this before. Isn't it kind of like good cop, bad cop, you know? Like God the Father, he's like angry and vengeful. And then Jesus came and he's like the sweet love, tender guy that's holding like a little lamb, you know? You need to know this, is that Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus, the life, what he said, what he did, how we responded, that is perfect theology. We can know everything about the Father by what Jesus did. John 5, 19 says this, therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. If God the Father was giving people sickness, then we would have seen Jesus giving people sickness. You can't distinguish the two. You can't say, God did this and Jesus did that. Jesus says, I do what the Father did. Jesus, you notice that Jesus didn't give sickness to people? He, like, took it off them? (laughs) It was kind of a one-way street in that context. And if Jesus didn't give it to them, then God the Father didn't give it to them either. He knew that all sickness ultimately originates with that old thief, the devil. Have you ever been robbed of your health? Have you ever suffered loss? Don't blame God. It's the thief who robbed you. I've heard many people say with long-term illness, they've said, I've made peace with my condition. 
there's someone very close to me who got cancer, and they said, I have, I have peace with cancer. This is kind of, you know, God's sovereignty. That's like making peace with the devil. Is it not? I have peace about that. that is making peace with the devil. The hemorrhaging woman who was hemorrhaging for years, do you think that she made peace with it? No, because after years and years, she reached out to touch Jesus' clothes in faith. So if you're suffering, don't sit there and take it like a passive, pitiful Job. Job should not be your poster child for uh, how you should deal with adversity. He should be your warning sign. We we lift Job up and like, oh, yeah, Job, you know, oh, I, I feel so much like Job. He should be the warning sign of everything I should not do. If you don't know what that means, you should go back about four or five weeks when we talk about Job. But essentially, Job sat there and felt sorry for himself when the word says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You notice that the story of Job is Job laid down and took it. Why? It's because he thought that God was giving it to him. If you think God is sending you calamity, sickness, why would you even resist? So if you feel lost, you need to stand up and actually realize that someone gives and someone takes. Jesus come to give, the thief comes to steal. But now we can see how all this funny theology kind of comes together. It's easy when you pick and pull scriptures to have the theology that God makes someone blind in order to heal them. Are you guys good? Do you want the last one here? Does God use sickness to teach us things or to bring you to repentance? There's so many silly things that people said that people will say when adversity, sickness, issues come, and they'll use it in different terms and different ways. Sometimes it's like, God really need to get my attention. I heard someone like in the hospital, like, yeah, God really wanted to slow me down and get my attention. Um, or in pleading for, for suffering to be over, people pray, Lord, let me learn what you want me to learn. And when people attribute the passing of difficult times and the passing of sickness, they'll basically say, I was sick and then finally I got the message. And they'll put Jesus and God's fingerprint on the source of why all the bad things are happening. happening. It's like saying, um... You know, Eric, you need a lesson in humility. I give you disease. Said Jesus, never. (laughs) Jesus never looked at someone and says, their moral character is deficient. A disease will fix this right away. He never did that. Experience in of itself is an effective but brutal teacher. Experience. I, I'm a firm believer. One of my core tenets of my existence is that stupid should hurt. I believe that. Stupid should hurt. Um, very stupid story here. We have a newborn that's being gently rocked in the back there. And, um, uh, yes. Um, about two and a half years ago, I was playing basketball. Believe it or not, I was running when this accident happened. And I had a, a steal. I'm like going around the, and like, if I could dunk, I would have dunked this time, but I can't. So I'm like going up and I'm like right here and homeboy who's like six, six, 220 pounds comes and swats the living daylights out of me. His knee goes into my back. I go flat on my face and I literally could not get up for like 10 days. I like bulged a disc. It was terrible. And ever since then, I kind of have like the same spots. Every once in a while, we'll kind of get strained. So we have um, a toddler who's two and a, almost two and a half, and we have the newborn. And if you know anything about us, we're hypersensitive about our children sleeping because they typically never do. He's a lot better. But it all started when I put him into the bassinet, and the bassinet has little rollers, and we have tile on our floors and then we'd take him into our bedroom and it's late at night and i'm like i could just roll the bassinet and just put it in the bedroom but then it'll clickety clack on the grooves of the tile so what do i do i grab it and i like walk like this about 40 feet the thing's like 50 pounds i'm like oh you know and then I take Scarlett out for the weekend, and I have a truck, and I'm, like, racing. I'm trying to get it. And she's, like, 30-some pounds, and I'm, like, lifting and twisting and doing this other stuff. Well, 
at the end of the day, I like, I totally restrained my back. And I got this stupid, like, little brace on (laughs) that I get to remember all the dumb things I did with my back. I'm like, how? And I'm feeling a lot better. I'm like almost there, but, but experience, experience is a great teacher. Like everything's like, oh yeah, why did I do that? I, I spent a week ignoring all the signs that I was being dumb. And you know what? I, I got a little strain. But sickness is a brutal teacher. There is a point to all this. Sickness is a brutal teacher. But God does not need experience nor sickness to teach you. I'm not being taught anything besides that, dang, I was dumb. And that's, that's my own revelation. That's a good word. But it's from me. I didn't need any help with that one. How do I know that God does not need any help with experience or sickness to teach you? John chapter 14, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Is there anything that qualifies disease to be a better teacher than the Holy Spirit? What advantages does cancer have in teaching me something that the Holy Spirit can't? That's the question. When you ask about your circumstance, you need to ask, is this situation, is this disease, is this infirmity a better teacher than the Holy Spirit? If it is, then we certainly don't need the Holy Spirit. Is there anything that loss, brokenness, oppression, that it can teach you better than the Holy Spirit can? But we do this all the time. We think that all the situations are from God. And we begin to thank God that I, you know, in our suffering, we, we try and be thankful for our suffering, which is kind of a weird thought, but Christians do it all the time. Thank you, Lord, for my injured back. Like, I'm not thanking God for my back. I'm like, you know, pounding my fist. But when we do that, we're like, yes, Lord, teach me more through, through more back pain. You know, we are, in essence, thanking the devil. The devil's like, he's taking credit for this. This is awesome. He's like... He thinks Jesus sent that. Let me send some more, you know? It's like, let's keep it up. Oh, he's getting more holy. Let me send some more to him. This is great. And so the devil will be so satisfied when you tribute challenge, hardship, loss, destruction to God. And he'll pour it on more. Why? Because you won't resist and you'll be stuck in religious thankfulness rather than resisting the devil. And you'll find yourself further and further attracting more and more defeat. Why? Because Beelzebub, you know what that means? It means Lord of the flies. Where do flies go? Into wounds and dead things. That's right. So the more that he can get you down, the more he can keep you opened up in your wounds, the more that you're going to have more company with you. And it shouldn't surprise us because remember that the scriptures say the devil masquerades as a angel of light. What better illustration of that, of the devil masquerading than the devil causing destruction and getting us to believe it was God? Don't get me wrong. We can definitely learn from times of sickness and we can definitely learn from experiences, but God did not need it in the first place. We have some friends right now that have tremendous uh, issues with job and income and stability, and, and they're, they, they use the same terminology. God, I want to learn what you want to teach me. When our son Maverick went to the, into the NICU, um, it was a really incredible time because it did something that uh, it brought to the service of what's really important. And have your child in the NICU, like you know, like I don't care what my email says. I don't care what bills are at home. Like, the only thing that matters right now is this child. And so some of people say, well, well, God wanted you to know that, and so he sent your son. You know, like, no, I, I reject that wholeheartedly. You know, but while we were there, I'm thankful that, remember, because God will work bad things to work towards your good. The net effect of my son being in the NICU is that I have a new perspective. I'm not thankful that he was there, but I came away with something that God wants to use for good. Let me just end in this. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because this gets boring (laughs) for those who... um, I feel like 
our focus should be on Jesus. You okay with that? But I can anticipate some of the thoughts. What about the Old Testament? Gosh, there's so many like verses in the Old Testament of people getting rocked. Didn't God send sickness to bring repentance and all this other stuff? I, I could go on and on and on. I'm not going to give all the scriptures, but let me just say this. At the fall, a curse entered the world against man and between him and God. And under the law, sickness and disease were clearly identified as curses. Deuteronomy 28. And you can read the whole context here, but just let me give you a teaser of it. But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And he lists out a lot of curses. A lot of them are sickness. In the old covenant, if you were sick, you were considered cursed. If there was a curse on you, it was because you broke the law. Those are two distinguishing factors in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. Here is where we get to fix our eyes on Jesus and fully understand him. This is Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Sickness was a curse in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. Jesus became the curse. We are no longer under the curse. Amen? Romans 8, 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, offering for sin, a payment for sin, because we're not being punished anymore from sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What does that mean? It means that sickness and curses in the Old Testament were the result of curse and not obeying the law. Jesus became the curse for us. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. So we have no bearing in that. If sickness was considered a curse in relationship to disobedience from the law, and Jesus became that curse, and Jesus fulfilled the requirement of the law, then the consequences, listen here, the consequences of the Old Testament are just that old. Sickness is no longer a curse because Jesus became it. And every time you want to relate sickness and disease to God's judgment, you are reviving the old covenant from the dead. Every time you want to use something in the Old Testament and say, oh, God, this and smiting and all this other stuff, and every single time we do that, we are reviving the old dead covenant that Jesus really doesn't want to talk about anymore. But there are some Christians who make it their living it's some Christians that make like their church. They, they, they keep the church alive by keeping the old covenant alive and keeping people in fear and bondage. We don't see Jesus putting fear and bondage into people. He sees people liberating them. And people say, well, God doesn't change. Exactly. He doesn't change, but his covenant did. It's important to know that God doesn't change, but he made a covenant and then he replaced that covenant. And God is very specific that the curses, if you do not obey, those curses will come upon you. It's interesting to note that the Old Testament, affliction came first, repentance second. The New Testament, healing comes first, repentance comes second. Why are we going to try and live in the Old Covenant? Why are we going to try and live in the Old Testament? Let me have the band come up. You guys good? It's important that we cover this in detail because as we go into next week, next week's going to be like, this was originally supposed to be like one night and it's supposed to be like next week's content. This stuff, I, I understood that if we want to be effective in understanding healing and sickness, we actually have to have our heads screwed on straight about both topics. Um, but don't ever think that God is making you sick to punish you or that he's allowing sickness to teach you. If you get nothing, please remember that. Instead, have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ, and Jesus had a zero-tolerance policy when it came to sickness. He never doubted. He never thought, oh, man, this person really sinned, or, man, I'm so glorified by that disease. Oh, I'm so praised. How many storms did Jesus send to other cities? Like, oh, that's a beautiful storm cloud. Go and smite that city. He never did any of that stuff. 
So next week, here's what I'm going to give you next week. Um, are there such things as partial healings? What are the forces that keep healing down? Does healing have anything to do with us, our friends, our faith, our city? And what should praying for healing sound like? So now that we have our heads on straight, we actually can dive into that topic. And I'm excited for it. I love you guys. I was thinking when Eric said, uh, I don't want to talk about this too much because it's boring. One of my concerns with what God's doing at Epic Life is we are, we're seeing the gifts of the Spirit uh, really poured out, and that's very exciting. And we're seeing a lot of miracles and healings starting to happen, a lot of them. But it's equally important that as we grow in the Lord, and those things start happening that you understand the scripture. And if you don't, then it's very easy to go off, you know, a little sideways or do things that in our immaturity, we actually have leadership. And as we're, as I'm looking at our overall uh, body at Epic Life, it's very important that as you grow in your understanding of hearing the voice of God and operating in the prophetic and all of those things, that you know how to explain why you do what you do and where it's found in the Word. It's really important. So if you guys notice, Eric will sometimes say things like, oh, it's boring, and then I get up and go, actually, it's not boring. You're dumb if you're not paying attention. Uh, some of the things... Some of the things that he says, like these sermons, I have to go back to our website, epiclifeonline.com, and pick the sermon up again and listen to it again because it goes so fast sometimes for me that I can't keep up. So if you get to the end of one of these and you're like, wow, I think he just destroyed my theology and I don't really like how I feel and I don't know why not, well, go to the website, get the podcast, and listen to it again. And decide for yourself, because the truth of the matter is, you're the one who's going to be responsible for your choices. You know, we love to go to church, and then we hear this sermon, and we run off what we barely understand in the world. But the day will come when I will stand before God, and he's not going to ask me what Eric preached or what he believed. I'm just going to answer for what I chose to believe. So it's important that as you grow in understanding the spiritual gifts and all those things, that you grow in understanding the Word of God. What does it mean to me personally? And how do I walk that out? So if you'll stand and our uh, ministry team can come up. Uh, we have a lot of folks in El Salvador tonight. And for whatever reason, Austin, can you carry that off? We also have a, uh, a bunch of folks gone tonight from our prayer team. So... We would love to minister to you as these guys lead us in worship. If you need to go tonight, we understand that. Thank you so much for coming. I want to pray over you before you leave, before we start this time. Father, I um, thank you for each person that's here tonight. And in the name of the Lord, I break off every lie, every word curse, and every accusation that's been spoken over your life. I break the power of every verse that's been used to manipulate you or to control you into behavior that the Holy Spirit was not talking to you about. And I pray a, a blessing over you that you would hear the voice of the Lord for yourself, that your personal revelation would exponentially increase, and that your sense of being a son or a daughter would become such a core part of your life that you can't think of acting any other way you can't think of looking any other way than like your daddy so i bless you tonight in the name of the lord in jesus name